you're in, you're out. Welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D, a presentation of Osage Advisors. Well, welcome back, everyone. As usual, this is your host, David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network, alongside, at least virtually, as usual, Keith D., CEO and founder of Osage Advisors. So today's topic is things that can slow down, hinder, or even kill a deal. In business or government, it's like a, a lame duck period is not meant to be a long time because <laughs> you're no longer invested long term and yet they have to keep successfully running the business. That must be quite a strain. Well, it's an incredible strain for a business owner. And that's our job as we said earlier, is we manage that process for them and we listen to them. We hear their concerns and their frustrations and their anxiety and stress. And we, we relay that in a manner to the buyer. So everybody is, is working towards getting a deal done. So from a business owner, we always use this. You run the business, we run the deal. You can't run your business as if you're going to sell it. I can't overemphasize that enough. You should never keep on running your business as if you're going to sell it to, because if the deal doesn't get done, you got yourself, you built, you put yourself in a bit of a hole. You didn't buy that new piece of equipment. You didn't, well, let's just say you didn't go to the, uh, a couple trade shows. Your sales guys are not, uh, or people are not on the road right now. You're not outreaching much yourself, just current customers. You just want to get this thing done and move on, Right. And what happens is you should run the business like it's not going to sell. Because at the end of the day, it will sell if you run it that way. Because your sales are staying up. Your backlog is continues to be uh, uh, consistent with what you uh, initially indicated to the buyer. And your pipeline's growing. Three questions that you have to answer daily to a buyer. How's your sales? How's your backlog? What's the pipeline look like? And if you're focused on a company that's a $20 million business that you're the key or one of the key sales contacts and you're focused on provisions of a, a asset purchase agreement that's driving you crazy on selling the business, you're not interacting with your customers. Tell so all of a sudden Sorry, Keith, I was just going to say, tell us yeah. how you can advise. Let's say you, you have a client who's selling their business and you're telling them, like you say, you run the business, we run the deal. But as time goes on, your client is becoming more and more anxious and fearing that this is going to fall through. Some people, I think, naturally would presume just by virtue of the lapse of time, this has taken so much longer than we thought, Keith. How can you come back and advise them, no, listen, this is what's changed, but this is why we're still on track? So the key thing here is, is that we advocate for our clients. So if we feel the buyer's dragging their feet, we're going to get on the phone with them mm -hmm. and say, look, we haven't heard from your accountants or it's been two weeks when we have not had a contact with your lawyer. Let's get on the phone. Let's schedule a meeting with all the parties, the attorneys, we'll have a call with our attorneys, your attorneys. Let's get it going. Let's have, who's your accountant? Have them call me. Let's get this, what they need. We're there, we're constantly advocating, nudging, nudging forward. I've had many situations where, you know, we basically would, we would schedule the call. Say, okay, let's schedule the call. Let's have a due diligence kickoff meeting. Let's set up a project schedule, milestones we want to attend, and we're going to monitor that weekly. 
And then as you get closer, we're going to monitor it daily. And things aren't getting done. Why aren't they getting done? What's the issue? How are we going to address it? And we'll resolve it. So that's what we do. We are expediting every aspect of the process after we sign a letter of intent to make sure it's moving. I got a situation right now. We have a deal that's under a letter of intent. We're, uh, we set up a data room. What is a data room? It's a, it's a data room. It's where you put all the request lists. So all of a sudden, you got a buyer, you get an LOI, you're all excited, I got a deal. And then the buyer sends you a 18-page due diligence checklist. Mm. And you're like, it's over, could be overwhelming, right? So we look through that checklist, see what's relevant to our client, what's not relevant. We And then we sit, get on the phone. This Unfortunately, there's either a, a Zoom call or... And we have the team, art, and we go through every aspect of it. And we devise out who's going to handle this, who's going to handle that from our side. And a timeline for having that ready to go. And then we uh, invite the buyer and say, we're loaded everything up. We're ready to go. But before we invite everybody to start looking at the documents, let's have a call. Let's get on the phone. Your side, our side, the key players, and us, of course, this is not with the professionals yet, just the buyer and the seller, their management teams, and us. And let's talk about milestones and timelines and how we're going to get this done. And if there's any hiccups, we alert the buyer right away as we go through. Okay, what could the hiccups be? All right, we talked about in the environmental, there's a problem. Okay, we need to figure that out. Now, if we address that problem before, and we did the environmental before we got into this, you probably could have dealt with it in a way that could be done in a very matter-of-fact, timely manner. But now we're in a stress situation, right? We need to address it now. So what happens? Well, it's going to cost our client more money because the lawyers got to get involved. They got to find out what's going on and they got to, they're moving quickly. So it's not an orderly progression of a, an engagement. It's like critical to the transaction. So you get, you're getting everybody involved at the same time to get the, to find a solution to this. Okay. So not only does it slow the transaction down, it also costs you more money because you got everybody throwing the kitchen sink at the issue to resolve it. Mm. So, and then we have this project schedule. We put it out there. Both parties have it. And we have a weekly call. We literally have a weekly call to see where we are. And if we're not on schedule, why not? Yeah. And I imagine that keeps both parties engaged. Like you say, the time kills. And I wonder if sort of silence kills too. In other words, if a couple of months had gone by, you haven't heard anything from the, the party on the other side of the table that's like doubt might start to creep in. But if you have weekly calls, then the benefits of the deal as was originally agreed upon by both stays top of mind. It keeps people focused. And you don't want any distractions from the team working on it, okay? And everybody's busy right now. Whether it's family stuff, which is there's a lot of difficult things going on, whether it's related to their business or other clients' business, everybody's busy. So you're kind of in this silo and you think things are going to move along, but there's a lot of outside influence that can affect it. So driving the process from the day you sign the LOI to the day you close is critical 
this deal we talked about, the first thing I did was, hey, send me over your key contact list from the buyer. Let me so I can let me know who all your key contacts are, right? So we can get them ready to go. And here's our key contact list. So you're exchanging emails and contact information, et cetera. So people, the right people know who the right party is, right? If you get if that starts to delay, you're off to a bad start. It doesn't lead to, it could lead to, you know, issues down the road. Again, there's a lot of things that can happen from both parties. We talked about your sales can drop, your backlog can drop, you can lose a customer, you can have a mini revolt of your employees. They got blindsided by this, all this kind of stuff. You got to really think about how you're going to plan for it. And we had a deal a couple of years ago and it was a great company doing tremendous business. And he had four of his cousins that started with him on it. And he was pretty adamant about keeping things quiet from the get-go. It's a personal choice. We only recommend what you decide to do will express what our concerns could be down the road that we have to deal with. So he had kind of a mini revolt when he announced it. And so we went down there. It was an eight-hour drive. I got got in the car at six in the morning, went down there, and put together a whole management presentation of why this is such a good deal for you guys, right? This is what I recommended to my client. He bought into it. And so we spent like three or four hours with the flip charts and PowerPoints and handouts and just letting them, frankly, beat up on us. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, let them vent. What do, you, you, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? How can we help you? What is your concerns and how can we address those concerns? That It must provide some sort of cover for your client as well because now they're hearing it from a third-party expert who has seen these kind of deals time and time again. That's what the exact good point. That's exactly why we recommend to our client that, look, I'll just, we'll go through, we'll give them examples, how it works, and we'll go through things, why this is a good opportunity for them. So we can just reduce the temperature. So while all this is going on, we're under a lot of intent, mm-hmm. right? And so my clients, he's incurring legal fees, he's incurring accounting fees, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of costs. And in the background, the buyer doesn't know what's going on with this situation because if it came up to light right now, it would be potentially a deal kill that the whole management team is about to commit mutiny, mutiny, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. So we went through this whole thing and, and we heard their concerns, what their concerns were. So what do you think we did? We went to the buyer. Now that we had a sense of what was going on here, said we had a meeting with management. This is where they are. Here's what their concerns are. We want to make you aware of it so we can have a plan together how to address it. Because these guys are going to be working with you post-closing. So they were very appreciative. And we set up a meeting with them. and brought, We brought the buyer in to speak directly to this team. And at the end of the day, we worked out a solution that everybody's happy with. But, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of work. It was extremely stressful because I forget, these are family members, right? These are Mm -hmm. people you sit down with at Christmas and Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The holidays for years, you grow up with them. So you don't speak to the family members in the same way you speak to an employee or these are employees, but to an unrelated employee or or business partner. These are people you see every day. 
and you spend all your time with. And so it's hard for an owner in those situations to kind of separate the family from the business. So we come in there, in this case, and laid it out. And then took listened to what they had to say and got to the heart of what the issues are. So we were able to find a solution that made sense to them. And then we brought it to the to the buyer. Because you have the buyer's got to be involved because mm-hmm. they have to abide by what we kind of felt was going to work. So it's all about communication, right? At the end of the day, it comes down to you need to talk to each other. With total transparency, you have a deal on the table, you got to talk to each other. And if you hold on to these things and they explode in an in 11th hour, it's going to put the deal on hold. The buyer's going to back up and say, what am I buying here? I know what the sales are, but what am I buying? Where's this, where are these critical employees going to fall in? Am I going to be able to work with them? Right. And that's always, and that was a big piece of this deal was we're going to, we needed to convince my client. We needed to tell the buyer, what transpired, not all the, you know, the noise behind it, but just kind of like where the concerns were and how they're going to, how are they going to, how are they going to view it? How are they going to look at it as a way of a, a way like I got a big problem in my hand or I'm an experienced buyer. I've seen these things before and I'm glad they're on the table and I just want to make them comfortable moving forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And if and, and, and you can't bring these things up when the 12th hour, when you're about to sign an agreement, hey, by the way, these guys aren't going to move on forward unless you do this. So those type of things are things that can really unravel and derail a transaction if they're not handled in a way. I know I'm talking a lot of examples now, but I think that's the best way to kind of communicate it. Yeah. We had another, again, it really takes a lot of just open, honest, frankness, and transparency with your clients about, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Mm -hmm. Here's some ideas to think about. Before you move on to the next example, in the prior example, where you you traveled eight hours to persuade this management team that the deal was a good one, how did that ultimately turn out? Was the deal completed and did people stay on? (laughs) The deal was completed. All the, not only did all the employees stay on, the owner stayed on. Mm-hmm. So they got, it, it came out to their employment agreements, some, some, some potential, I'll call it ownership interest and in, in like stock options we'll call, and, and bonuses for hitting certain targets, right? For all of them, including the owner. And the owner, they all stayed on. And the owner even said, look, I'm staying, I'm going to roll equity into this deal, right? I'm going to, I'm going to maintain a partner with the new ownership. So it worked out great. My client has several years later has since retired, but the other ones are still there working. So I mean, this is years now, right? Mm-hmm. So it's worked out well. And so it's like you know when you're looking to sell a company, you look through your critical people on your team and say, okay, what's going to happen if I sell? How are they going to react to it? Right? I think more of the problems come in with when you have a family members involved in all aspects. Uh, I don't say problems, but uh, challenges. That's called challenges are with getting everybody on the same page. So again, we're the deal fatigue, the exhaustion, the amount of money spent, the challenges as you get longer, you know, in the longer in the tooth, so to speak, down the road in a transaction, if people's patience runs thin and uh, they may kill it. So we had another situation where it was it was a father son team, and uh, the father was ready. He was uh, early seventies. He was ready to retire. The son 
kind of wanted a business and the father gave him a deal to buy the business, but it wasn't good enough for the son. So for whatever reason, let's just say, so he decides to sell it. And we got deep into it and we are literally done with all aspects about, except for the non-compete, non-solicitation with the money, with the son. And uh, he held it up and made it very challenging. So a month went by, couldn't resolve it. Another one couldn't resolve it. He brought in an attorney just to kind of muck things up, just to kind of, let's say, put some unreasonable requests on the table related to his exit from the business. So we finally called him up and said, you know, what do you want? In the background, I knew kind of what he was doing here. He's, he's just trying to make his, you know, father's life uncomfortable. I'll mm. use that as a kind word. <laughs> but what do you want? And so we said, this is what I want. So I said, no. I said, what do you want? And I was just honest and open. I said, tell me exactly what you want. Because I'm going to go back to the company, the buyer. We're now 65, 70 days past when we're supposed to close. Tell me exactly what you want, and I'm going to go back to the buyer and tell him exactly what you want to get the deal done. So he told me exactly what he done. So I repeated it back to him, and I wrote it to him. Say, this is what you want, right? Yes. So I called up the buyer, and I said to him, said, this is a, my company was doing, this, this is like a half billion dollar company. I called the chairman of the board and, I said, Alan, if you want to get this deal done, this is what you're going to have to do. And he said, what do you mean? I said, look, he's not, if you want this deal, and, and, and they really wanted it. They wanted this company. It fit a niche. And so I would say I, we had, what, 12, eight or 12 offers on this deal. I can't remember. It was more than eight anyways. And I would say out of those eight offers, the other seven probably would have walked from this. Mm-hmm. But they really wanted this. So I said to him, I said, this is what you need to do in my opinion, right? Based on what I've heard. So I, I said, I suggest, don't just call them up. I said, schedule a face-to-face. Drive out there a couple hours, meet with them face-to-face over lunch and ask them the question, what do you want? I'm telling you what he wants. Okay, you know what he wants and say, okay. And say, if, if you deliver that, he'll close the deal. So we did. And they met and still took another 30 days, but you know, we ended up getting it done. But again, a lot of things could have happened between trying to get a non-compete agreement signed and and getting the deal done. They could have lost a major customer. The father could have had a, a health, he had health issues, could have had a, an incident. The pandemic could have hit. The buyer could have had an unsolicited offer for their business. The buyer could have just said, I'm done with these guys, right? I just don't, I just don't want to deal anymore. And of course, my client has incurred He's got a, a nice deal on the table. We've gone through this seven, eight month, now 10 month, 11 month process because of the fact that due diligence got stretched because we couldn't just one issue. And it just could have derailed the whole thing and we would have been at ground zero again. And my client was ready. He was 72, I think, maybe at the time. It was really highly stressful for him at this point. Trying it. And so we stepped in and on his behalf and, and on the son's behalf, frankly. Because it was the best thing for both of them. It just there's this emotional uh, trauma between them was just uh, untenable. So we we stepped in and to figure out what, what would make sense, and we proceeded. 
So deal killers can be, come from anywhere. And you kind of try to anticipate, we call it, there's always something under the table on every deal. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing this. In fact, by the way, it's, it's the truth. This is our 20th year. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize that until like recently. <laughs> I was like, we're entering our 20th year of business, mm-hmm. right? And you think you got it all figured out. You think you've seen it all until you have it, yeah. right? And you have it. And it's <laughs> every transaction. Yeah. You know, there's always something that you kind of from experience say, okay, let's make sure we cover this. Let's make sure we got this. Okay, we got this. All right, kind of have figured, and all of a sudden you get there, and all of a sudden, like, I didn't see that coming. Well, it's like the old Mike Tyson quote. We might have even said it on this podcast before. Everyone's got a plan, and then you get punched in the mouth. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> right. That's a good yeah, quote. Yeah. Mike, he's right there because you just <laughs> it slaps you in the face. Mm-hmm. So you get you hit it, and it's like, okay. And that that's the one issue that's going to kill the deal. And so you need to come up with a plan, meaning us, and then – sit with the client and provide him with or her with multiple ways of handling it, options, so to speak. And and then you got to go to the buyer and say, look, this is the, here we are. How do you want to deal with it? Uh, and if you got a willing buyer and a willing seller, you'll come to a, come to a solution and get the deal done. And if you don't, then you got to, you got to kind of pick up your bags and reset. Well, that leads me to actually something I was going to ask you is you've already outlined a number of different ways to keep a deal warm and alive and fend off the effects of delay and indecision and things like that. Are there instances where the only remaining option to save the deal is to change the fundamental terms of the deal? And have you saved deals that way? Go back to the table, adjust a couple levers, and then continue. Yeah, so the answer to that is is yes. At some point and in some situations, economics, you know, like the pandemic right now, Mm. causes something happens in a transaction that you need to, quote unquote, restructure. So it works for all parties. And from our client perspective, depending on where they are in a life cycle, of their for themselves or their health or their mental well-being will kind of determine that so typically what will happen is if we're short if the EBITDA or excuse me let's just call profits yeah. were off by 15 percent and a buyer understands the cause you know of what happened uh, I got a deferred loan. Typical stuff right now, obviously, with the coronavirus and the pandemic, is uh, stuff are getting things are getting pushed off and delayed. But the fundamentals of the business are still there, right? Is that they're willing to take a risk with you. So, say it's a ten million dollar deal. Hey, we'll give you eight and a half today, but if you get there in the next two years, we'll pay that extra million and a half over, maybe half in one year and half in year two. And a buyer looks at that and says, okay, so I need to stay with the company for two years now because I want to be participating and driving that business, right? So there are ways to bridge that gap, that valuation gap between the two because of uh, particular circumstances. There's also ways when you run a situation that's not due to economics. For example, the inconclusive environmental study, right? So there Mm -hmm. could be some risk, liability 
there, sitting there, because we don't know what the answer is yet on this environmental, right? We couldn't get a conclusion as to whether or not this passes the state and federal requirements. And so that may take a certain amount of time. So how do you handle that? Well, obviously there's language in the lawyers can draft up the language that goes in the, in the, in the purchase agreement, but you can set money aside. You can take a piece of the transaction and say, okay, we're going to put a million dollars, $2 million, whatever, in this escrow, this quote unquote environmental escrow. So you close the deal, this money goes in escrow and it sits there. And once that environmental situation is resolved, it gets released. And if there's costs associated with it, then that part of that money goes to cleaning up the environmental. So you can work it away. You can work it. There's ways of working it from both sides to make it work, but you got to have a willing buyer and a willing seller. So you can bridge those gaps, whether it's a liability issue, potential liability issue, or a performance issue with the business as both parties are on the same page. Well, all great advice, Keith. We're, we are kind of approaching the end of the session here, but I take it the best advice you can give often is when in doubt to give you a call so you can help work through these issues. And let's face it, we've learned here that there are ways that you, your firm can step in and avoid these pitfalls. Fair to say? Yeah, we're here to help our clients. We want to understand, you know, every deal's got challenges. Our job is to understand what those challenges are and find solutions that work for our clients. And we can offer a million solutions, but it's got to work for our clients. Again, we advocate for our clients 24-7 and finding a solution that they're comfortable with that works for them so they're, moving, they're willing to move towards close is, is paramount. So remind our listeners, please, Keith, how they can get in touch with you to start the conversation. Well, thanks, Dave. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. It's greatly appreciated. My name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. I can be reached at 860-767-3273, extension 1001, or shoot me an email at kdee at osage, O-S-A-G-E, advisor, advisorswithaness.com, or check us out on the web at uh, osageadvisors.com. And uh, appreciate everybody listening today and look forward to hearing, seeing you guys next time. Pleasure from my end as well, sir. And I'm glad your 2021 is going well so far. We all could use that change, but I'm glad you're busy. And as a reminder, check out this entire library of podcasts because there are all kinds of topics covered by Keith. It's called The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business for a Reason. Keith covers so many topics in this series. Subscribe to us, please, on Apple Podcast, And check us out on Spotify, pod617.com, or as Keith mentioned, Best place to go, osageadvisors.com to learn about Keith. On behalf of Keith, this is producer Dave from the Boston Podcast Network saying thanks for listening to the ins and outs of selling a business.